Welcome to the Industry Insights Podcast, and here we are at the Berlinale Series Market. The EFM Podcast is one of the Berlinale Podcasts and is provided in cooperation with the Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. This episode has been developed in collaboration with Deadline, media partner of this year's Berlinale Series Market, running February 20 to 22. And I'm delighted to welcome our guests, Guy Bisson, Executive Director and Co-Founder at Ampere Analysis, Janina Pavel, who is a creative producer at HBO Romania, and Oliver Bakot, Chief Distribution Officer from Beta Film, which has in the Berlinale series their new environmental thriller, The Swarm. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. We are the Berlinale series is nearly upon us. Um, and we are here to talk about all things TV. There is so much going on at the moment in the global television industry. I've got a whole range of topics that I'd uh, that I'd love to cover, love to cover off. So it's great to welcome Janina and Oliver to this year's Berlinale series podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Um, I thought it would be really nice to start by you guys just talking about what you think are some of the major trends that are going to emerge in the coming year in the in the global TV industry. Oliver, maybe you want to start. Well, I mean, my crystal ball is not fully operational yet, but obviously um, there are obviously at the end of the day in, in our experiences, a lot of catalytic development where let's say certain developments are rather amplified that already existed. So nothing popped up out of the blue and, and uh, we have never heard about that, but it's at the end. What the way one could feel it uh, or, or, or phrase it is there's still the on-demand phenomena revolution development that continues to drive. Obviously, we've seen it during the, the COVID situation that on-demand use SWOT or FreeWOT both are, are, are obviously increasing and maybe the FreeWOT element will, will take over a certain part of it as a lot of the on-demand um, uh, consumption has happened in the, in the SWOT field. In this context, obviously, maybe curated content, if you wanted to call it like that, will have another meaning curated in the sense that there is a select pre-selection being done for you. So you don't have to just do it from scratch yourself, which at the end of the day is simply how television used to work. It's basically someone selects a certain offering to you, just that now you have, let's say, more interaction by going into on-demand field. But still, this curation is is, is obviously still a, a value. That's why all this fast channel development is connected to that, because it's, at the end, curated content with maybe some on-demand works. And probably, and this rather affects the production output, is obviously the, the change, especially in some platforms, but also the way... Um, uh, linear or classic players operate might pose some challenges to the production landscape regarding production costs, commissionings, financing, all the fun that we already had before, but maybe more amplified. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I agree. I think that the, there is this big, uh, the, the great Netflix correction that's, that's happened. And of course, that's going to factor into financiers talking, you know, in, talking about next year. And I think it's also going to be, I think part of the, so what Oliver was saying about how it's going to change even the, even the interface in the apps. I think the discovery thing is going to, uh, I think that's also going to change, uh, within the platforms because, uh, I I see Chat GPT just kind of becoming this this great kind of force within uh, within all the platforms, but basically probably 
the big ones, um, the ones that can um, get an API from Open from from Microsoft or something. But it's gonna. I think it's gonna really help Discovery because this is the one minus that all of the apps have right now. Discovery. But uh, in terms of like big big trends, I also think um, that's probably gonna be more windowing, more uh, more people just kind of selling off their shows to other platforms. Platforms just kind of batting shows between each other, which is something that's happening now. And I think this is gonna continue happening because that makes financial sense for everybody. Mm, yeah, loads loads going on. I I like that you guys have brought up Chat GPT and curated content as well, and it does feel like something that continues to develop as as time moves on do you do you think chat gp is going to have a really big impact and how does that impact creatives how how does that impact producers in particular oh, for sure it will i mean sorry <laughs> just uh, i'm sh- i'm sure it's going to start for, for the first thing that's going to happen is creatives are going to start are going to try to 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 workshop with chat uh, with chat gpt are going to try to workshop ideas and that's going to help to a point, to an extent, of course, it's, you can't expect a bot to create, but you can expect it to inspire. And I think more and more people are gonna get, are gonna try to to get that to work for them. But um, but that's on the creative side, obviously. The and the um, uh, as I said on the platform side, I think it's mostly gonna be part of the discovery. Uh, that that makes the most the most sense uh, to me that they're gonna they're gonna pre- implement the app and just kind of make it um, make their content more discoverable because people are just gonna be able to uh, to interact with a bot, <laughs> smart bot. Exactly, and in, in a certain way, all this myth of algorithms on platforms that partly was true and partly was a little bit, let's say, projected into that maybe. It, it gets closer to truth with certain applications like uh, like um, on this this supporting I because uh, I have to say the the whole algorithm myth was always something I was a little bit skeptical about because I I wouldn't put my bets that the algorithm selected the big hits from the last years but at the end it was more like luck fortune good timing whatever it was but who knows I mean it it definitely especially on the we see it even on on script writing or pitch elements just having a basic research on a certain historical or setting will get so much faster than just reading five wikipedia entries but you even get it maybe in a style that you wanted for your pitch deck obviously the it won't get away with the creative let's say creator of a show but uh yeah Mm. yeah i i completely agree with you and i've i've often felt that the algorithm maybe gets slightly overplayed in when we're talking about like the big hits or or the way in which streaming services in particular operate um but then are there are there negatives about this like if we're talking about chat gpt working on ideas for example um could this be a threat to the creative community who are striving for originality i doubt it myself i i, I really doubt it that that's gonna become that it's gonna become that uh the output is it can can the output of a robot can can't actually can mim- can it can mimic, but it can't actually create. If you get my meaning, I mean, I don't think that you can actually get a robot to that point, to the point that he that it would actually ideate, just create ideas. The good thing is that no one of us really knows at the very end what will work or what. Obviously, you can guess and you can guess in a more educated way, but at the end of the day, certain things are just, let's say still fortunately uh, up to the audience reaction timing and this is all 
quite complicated to anticipate with whatever kind of, at least in the near future, how this will work. Obviously, there might be a few lazy, lazy showrunner creators that might just <laughs> end up pitching the same thing to a commissioner because they just got it out of kudos. And I wouldn't put it past Netflix, actually, because, I mean, their whole idea of, of making of making series that are not actually um, narratives, that, 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 that follow a more um, active audience kind of, uh, kind of template with Kaleidoscope, I'm, I'm talking specifically. So I think that they're pushing the boundaries of what is and isn't, uh, you know, m- expected from audiences don't really ex- didn't really expect kaleidoscope or didn't really expect to be active participants in a in a narrative and i think the idea of of um, adding to that um a bot or a bot that can that can basically create these trees these different branches of um that that can create actually branches out of out of episodes so that you can go on to different branches i think that that might actually be something that um that that could happen in the near future because it's it's easier. It's not about ideas in, the, in 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 this kind of a template. It's more like creating different options for the viewers, and that is more likely to come from to, to come easier to a bot than to than necessarily to to for a human. I guess maybe it's easier because you know branching is part of the you know programming kind of things. <laughs> it just kind of feels neighboring yeah absolutely and there was a bit of that with the black mirror episode bandersnatch wasn't there a few years ago and it's almost exactly. almost I, exactly. I think you're yeah. i completely hear what you're saying and you almost might have expected more of this by now given that episode created a huge buzz and created a real um created a real conversation i think so it's certainly something to look out for and maybe we should over the next year or so play spot the chat gpt show and see if there's if things come up <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, there's still the uniqueness of creating something. And there's also, I mean, getting an original idea and still making a good show out of the original idea is still quite three, four steps beyond. So, uh, and creating authenticity and these kind of things are probably a little bit difficult to, to just try to paint by numbers, I think. Absolutely. There is so much going on in the world of the streamers. Last year was the year of multiple launches. It would be probably an understatement to say that they've had teething problems, especially over the past few weeks. Um, But I think one major impact of the entry of all of these streamers has has been an absolute influx of content, some of which has very much hit us in in Europe. Um, And that in turn has caused a skills shortage which we've been speaking about now for a couple of years, but is certainly still under consideration. Um, I wondered what what both of your experience with this skills shortage is and and how you think this is being approached. I mean, from from our, let's say, distribution point of view, obviously having more players in the market obviously has some upsides and, and obviously it gives you more potential revenue sources and these kind of things obviously a little bit more challenging on the production side if if let's say it gets more fragmented the good thing about skills you can learn or develop skills this is the the experience that we have it's just not a limited commodity that okay we only have that much of that so obviously the good thing about our creative industries new sources pop up especially if you look at the international level you might have markets uh, that you wouldn't have seen in the first let's say wave of of certain content being produced that might be maturing to something uh, a lot more 
meaningful. So obviously, if you look at the local market, especially in the English language market, there is basically a, f- a fight for certain talent and it even gets to a point where things get a little bit overheated and people are not available anymore. But if you look at the big picture of the international global scale, there, there are enough, let's say, niches and corners and corridors to find good creative uh, input. Uh, obviously, if you're just focused on a very particular, you need like this one particular actor or this one showrunner, then you might get into 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 issues. But um, the landscape is quite broad, and obviously, it grew also a lot of people that might have not seen the same kind of, let's say, visibility without the current ecosystem of of. Linear players reacting to platforms, platforms reacting to 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 more uh, to the classic players and all that. Uh, in Central Europe, I can I can basically I mean I'm from, from Romania, but I think I can speak for the region a bit. Um, so from from my perspective, I think it's been it's been quite hard from the pandemic on because the, 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 during the lockdown, a lot of our people, uh, Romanian industry, uh, I mean Central European industry is a bit uh, is not necessarily overflowing with 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 work per se. So it's uh, so when the pandemic hit, uh, a lot of them had to just kind of give up the whole thing altogether, and uh, we were you know all of a sudden. Uh, sound mixers or you know some guys or um just general crew from the set were just um going to you know do something else completely in another industry and then never actually came back to it and then um you know people were also working uh, we had this um uh, this joke on set, you know, Romania is going to Poland to work and Polish people are going to Britain to work. It's basically like this exodus that's happening from the east into the west. So a lot of, a lot of the crew from here were just going because of that, of that glut in demand in the, in the west that I was talking about. So that's what's been happening there. And for, for us, we were pretty lucky, uh, because we, we shot a uh, spy master, the show that we're, uh, we're launching this year. We shot and that we're having at the Berlinale. We shot it in Hungary most of it so we had a lot of uh, Hungarian crew uh, for for the most part and we also shot a couple of weeks in Romania um, but um, but for the bulk of it it was Hungarian crew and but even even at that point we had to change we were always changing people the turnover was just incredible because because people were only available for very short amount of time because they were always uh, book, being booked or having been booked months in advance on other projects it's it's quite yeah. insane what's happening in terms of yeah skills shortages are just yeah um and i think the problem in romania is uh, also more uh, more well ardent i guess because it's um because there's not a lot of young people coming into the um, the market, the, the job market in, in in film in the film industry. Because it's not it's not that you know well uh, I guess the demand for 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 their skills is not that great because there's less players in the market uh, actually making film. It's it's still more of an auteur film indie film based market. So that's why. But nevertheless, the, the the cooperation that you mentioned is really probably the solution to a lot of things because if you just you just have to expand. I mean, we did that on the swarm. Is also it's whether I won't even be able to count the different countries and and creative people um, uh, working on 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 that. And obviously, that uh, talking about talent pools. And then if you just have to find other ways and obviously developing the market is obviously goes through new projects and uh, some pro- uh, markets that feel like wow these are the hot spots or the big hyped hops if you look at back five six seven years ago some of them were not that present so 
there's a lot of room to to grow that also hopefully with with our joint help of of bringing new projects to the market and hopefully getting them secured one way or the other. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about this. And, and Janina, I think, uh, you know, the, the part of the world that you're operating in does often almost get left out of the conversation. We, we write so much about what's happening in, in the US regarding skills or the UK or France or Germany. But, but it's, it's, it's interesting to hear some of these issues that have been quite unique to, to where you are. And it's, but it sounds like they are being overcome through innovation and, and, and through this co-production model, which has been so, so part of the conversation over the past, you know, six to 12 months. Yes, I agree. I, I think that's what that's pretty, uh, basically what all the, uh, the all most of the co the production the producers really the indie producers are having to look at right now. They're looking. They're always looking at making shows that can be viable for more than one market, so that they can because the more potential eyeballs you get, the more money you get from. Uh, you know, it's basically let's math. <laughs> but yeah, of course, of course. And does that feel like the future? Like when you guys are assembling creatives or, or assembling teams together and, and putting financing together for a show? Does it feel to the two of you like co-productions are very much here to stay? That's the reality. I mean, it was always the reality, to be honest. It was obviously the, the, the Anglo-Saxon market had partly their own system of, of working. That's why it was maybe a little bit more confined, but uh, on the continental European landscape, it was obviously it's amplified, but you have that... Um, the development, especially of Central Europe, for us is quite an important step because also, I mean, we're we're shooting Hotel Portofino, a British ITV show in Croatia with a team that comes from very different sources. Nevertheless, the experience over the past year on working on shows like Game of Thrones or other uh, local commissioned um, uh, shows, really, you can see the difference. And it, partly it's easier to produce there than, than to do to the go to the more established markets where, yeah, just uh, let's say the the we'll we'll also have to see how this wave of content or this big volume of content that might be reduced due to the fact there might be less commissioners uh, or let's say cutbacks in budgets and things like that and that might affect the market. So even that will amplify the copro area and what what Janina mentioned that allowing windowing, which was obviously as long as everyone was thriving to conquer the world completely and kick everyone out and that is not too realistic nowadays so you'll have to find a way how to maybe work on that in in um, in other ways i also think that i i we talk, we're, the the whole panicking around this whole correction this whole cutting back and felt uh, you know um, belt tightening or whatever you want to call it i think it's it's more like a necessary step at this point it's a correction that it's uh, that was was coming anyway regardless of uh pandemic or whatever, because I think people were overspending to begin with. They just kind of went all out, you know, um, headfirst into something and, they, and into and they never actually thought about uh, consequences. And I think this is the part where you kind of, yeah, course correct, which is something that you do in any emergent, which was which is what streaming is. It's an emergent industry. It's not self-sustaining yet. A lot of a lot of it is sustained by by linear steel. That's you know the steel is which still is high margin. So it's basically propping up a lot of the the, the streaming. So I, I don't think it's that big of a I mean reason to panic <laughs> because I know everybody's talking about you know the doom and gloom of 
the golden age. Yeah, well, we survived two years of Corona, which felt like the biggest gloom happening. It was quite a challenge on the production landscape, but from, let's say, the exploitation point of view, it was quite a windfall because it led to more consumption, more need of content, burning through a lot more content than was maybe scheduled. That may be also the, the reason why certain adaptations are happening now because certain th if at some point the sustainability, economic sustainability of a project has to be a reality and uh, pumping money into a lot of projects that don't return or at least break even. Yeah, I mean, that works if you're that's a Ponzi scheme or pyramid scheme or something like that at some point. <laughs> mm. And that's, that is the noises emanating from the big US execs at the top of those companies. That is, it seems like in, in exactly the way that you described, Janina, they are talking about how there is a recession on, but at the same time, that course correction is necessary because the early years of Netflix were blank checks, really, weren't they? Like money, money would be yeah. thrown at projects without oversight and clearly there was going to come a time when that would change so so i think i think you've landed on you've landed on a really prescient point there um i think we only have a couple more minutes together but i i wanted to get both of your thoughts on where you think the next breakout hit is coming from we've talked so much about the success of squid game the success of money heist the success of shows like like dark <laughs> it's always interesting to us to think about where in the world or on what platform in the world the next big show is coming from and i wondered if either of you had any thoughts if i would know i we would probably not be sitting here doing podcasts but running to the next possibility no but seriously speaking obviously it's very complicated uh, what i would say from a creative point of view all places that have a very solid creative base we, either from storytelling or from cinema have the potential to grow into something that and elevate things to to levels that weren't there. I would also not focus just completely. There's a lot of talk about platforms, platform, platforms, and we're all thinking about the usual suspects of asphalt players. But nevertheless, I would count in a the old world, so to say, of of um, of, of broadcasters that still have the the most meaningful part of the production landscape, and uh, the fact that maybe free models in whatever way if it's linear non-linear might uh, play a much bigger role and linear players or free linear players of free on demand uh, will have a different kind of profile that they offer they might not have the same kind of you have to watch 10 episodes before you nearly understand what kind of story i'm telling you but then you're going back to the classic thing of okay i need to understand what's going on after 15 minutes because there might be a commercial break or something like that so yeah but i would just to put it into two words, any region of this world that has a storytelling tradition and the means to produce something creatively might be the next contestant um, in a certain way. Obviously, there are cultural uh, issues uh, or barriers that, let's say, make certain uh, journeys not as easy as you might think. I was thinking about Squid Games just um, um, this week. I've, I only just managed to finish wow. the first season and only because they announced the second one yeah no I'm a, i watch everything really i mean I'm a, I'm an avid watcher but just this i i was a fan of alice in borderland more than squid games which is the japanese version of squid games <laughs> anyways i think it's um 
I, I really think that, that, that the success of it um, is, is, is it's so tied up with the fact that the Far East is a culture that nobody, that is, is so, uh, it, it feels exotic, but also, and, and hard to put, to find a point on. And I think a lot of that success comes from, from basically showing a, a, a culture and a, a social that's what you know parasite was all about i think it's showing us a, a social dimension to people uh, around the world uh which a platform can do like netflix uh, or, or all the others really um showing a, a face of the world that nobody's actually and most people haven't actually been privy to and i think that's why i would place my money on something uh you know something still manga inspired some japanese thing in the future i would just literally just place my bet on that um or or as i was saying i think co-pros are actually any kind of co-pro because they because the idea in itself it comes from the mixing together of two cultures and the more diverse the cultures the more the more that story that that brings two different cultures together um manages to be original which is which which you you have more of a shot at if you are merging two different cultures that haven't been merged before <laughs> uh, i think that that's that's that that, that that might there might be something to that to that equation if you kind of if you can imagine a story that that brings together two different cultures that's nobody it's it's obviously nobody would have seen that before so that would grab eyeballs just by dint of the the premise of the thing and then if the story is actually good then there's no reason why it wouldn't blow up i guess Good storytelling is at the end uh, the easiest way to put it it's uh, if something is boring no one watch it whatever kind of budget or thing you build around it so yeah. thank you well i think that's a very good note to end on don't make boring stories thank you so much for the two of you it's been really fascinating getting your thoughts um and there's clearly so much to discuss at berlinale so you know plenty plenty for everyone to think about thank you for inviting us thanks a lot have a great market and yeah some inspirational storytelling <laughs> one way or the other <laughs> thank you uh so Guy, welcome to the Industry Insights podcast uh, for EFM. I first wanted to ask you a very broad question, uh, and that's what you see as the major trends for the coming year in the global TV industry. Yeah, it is a very broad question. There's a lot going on at the moment that is impacting the content market. Um, we're picking up a slowdown in commissioning rate of scripted TV in particular. Um, that is impacting the wider market. But I think if we pull back a bit and say, why might that be happening? It actually brings together several um, disparate trends that are all impacting the content space. Um, one, of course, is the economic outlook, which is impacting both consumers and businesses. Um, the other is the fact that streaming in particular has reached a market maturity in many countries that means that customer acquisition is increasingly difficult. So they've effectively switched from an acquisition mode, a customer acquisition mode, to a customer retention mode. And that also impacts the type of content that they're interested in commissioning. Further, we've seen them move increasingly into advertising models, where hitherto subscription was the main business driver. And that again is impacting the wider content market so all of these factors are having a knock-on effect on what's getting commissioned, what type of content, what audience is being chased by the different platforms, and how they are fitting together and competing in the wider television and film market. Mm, yeah, lots to um, 
lots to get into there for sure. Um, but I certainly, I certainly agree with with what you're saying as as the kind of key things to watch out for um, over the coming months. In terms of the, I'm I'm interested in picking up what you said about the streamer maturation. How do you see that developing as the year goes on? I guess we, we've got two issues going on there. One is the market is much more competitive than it was just a couple of years ago. Um, the second is we've got very large content owners that have entered that market also during that period. But the third element is that many of the Western European and North American markets are saturated. Everyone who wants streaming already has it. Um, and so the customers are much, much harder to come by for those two reasons. And that's why we're seeing um, content focus shift a little bit in terms of geography. So at the moment in particular, Asia is a very, very hot market because that's where a lot of the new untapped and virgin growth is coming from. And of course, that impacts where content is getting made and commissioned. And then we're seeing the fact that Perhaps um, two years ago, during the height of the pandemic, it was worth dropping Wonder Woman 1984 and other massive blockbuster film titles onto those platforms. Um, that equation doesn't quite work as well as it did uh, when you're in customer retention mode rather than customer acquisition mode. So I think it will also have a knock-on effect on the way that the large content owners think again about windowing and licensing content and the position of their own platforms. Do you see other effects from that knock-on effect that you mentioned in terms of the windowing? Like, how do you see that playing out? I think we're seeing almost a return to support for the theatrical window that perhaps was challenged, uh, certainly in the last couple of years. Um, I don't think we're going back to a, a situation of having a very, very long theatrical window before it moves into a subscription. But I think studios and large content owners will take a more um, liberal approach to utilising that window than perhaps we thought they would during the height of the pandemic again when we saw all those experimentations with straight to, um, to streaming. So I think that will be impacted. And I also think it will impact the licensing of film and television content because, again, high to the pandemic, everyone, uh, new platforms coming online, large content owners controlling those platforms, holding back rights uh, in perpetuity on a global basis for their own platforms seem to be the direction of travel. And while... Uh, high-value exclusive content is still important to that subscription window. I think, again, we see a, uh, an opening up of thinking around how content is licensed to other parties, uh, perhaps once it's been on the studio-owned platforms. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be... Things are only going to get more complicated, it feels, in terms of licensing and rights um, due, I think, part, partly a lot, of, a lot of what you've mentioned. Yeah, well, in a way, we're sort of revisiting the, the old models, and it's almost funny True. to call them old models because they were completely prevalent just three or four years ago and, and indeed still are prevalent for many types of content. Uh, um, of course, that whole chain, that whole business chain still operates um, for much of the content that is made, bought, and sold 
in the open market. Um, it's just that we tend to think and look at what the big streamers and the big studios are doing. Um, and it was they that were leading the change in the market, the change around licensing, the change around windowing. And we're almost taking a couple of steps back from that, I think, due to all of those things that are going on in the market. And not to say that they will disappear, um, those new ways of thinking, but I think we just see a, a, a reassessment of, of that value chain and how one gets most money out of a title um, and some of those old models are, are looking attractive again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the big US streaming services and the studios are having teething problems. Uh, we're reading most weeks and reporting on most weeks on layoffs, shrinking of certain departments, etc., etc. I wondered if how you see this being further impacted, uh, and also with all these streaming services out there, Will there just be even more churn this year? Is that what your research is is seeing? Will people be hopping between streamers uh, with ease? Well, um, that's always been a challenge of the streaming market, the ease with which one can switch. Um, we tend to see that that affects certain platforms. So if you think of Netflix as the baseline that most people have and most people tend to keep, then it's some of the smaller newer entrants who are witnessing a lot of boomerang behavior where people are buying in for a month or two and churning and maybe coming back a couple of months later. I think that's a given that that will be ongoing in the industry. Um, there, are, there are things that, that can be done to mitigate that. So we're seeing a lot of experimentation with uh, on-platform bundling, so bundling with another service. We're seeing experimentation around annual contracts at a, a discounted price. And I think yeah. there's a lot more that can be done. Again, it's actually revisiting old pay TV models in terms of packaging and bundling services in a way that's going to reduce churn. But certainly it's, uh, it's here to stay for that particular sector, I'm afraid, um, and will continue to impact the industry. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, how these models just come round in a circle almost, or how we're we're spending so much time talking about either the new and the old model, and they seem to work in a circular fashion. Um, it is it is fascinating. What what role do you see broadcasters, the traditional broadcasters, playing here? Like we've talked quite a lot about the impact on the streamers or the impact on of the streamers changing their models. Um, where does broadcasting fit within? Yeah, it's it's a really important point because we uh, we tend as analysts, as journalists, as commentators to focus in on the streamers. That's the sexy, exciting, fast-moving area. But actually, if you look at the where the business is, particularly with regard to commissioning new content, the broadcasters and and again, particularly in Europe, are extremely important in that space. Um, continue to be the largest commissioners of content, certainly again in, in Europe and Western Europe, um, and are, are still driving innovation around drama and scripted content. So they're, they're very, very important. They shouldn't be ignored. Um, obviously, their models are different. They are not generally global platforms, indeed often not even large pan-regional platforms. And so they're much more um, flexible and open and have remained flexible and open in, in the way that they do deals, license content, co-produce, etc. 
So very, very important in sustaining some of those models and in continuing to be a driver or putting a lot of business out there in terms of commissioning new scripted and indeed unscripted content and film. Thank you so much for listening to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast. We are produced in cooperation with the Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. I've been Max Dolbart from Deadline, guest moderator, and this episode has been developed in collaboration with Deadline, media partner of the Berlinale series market. And thank you so much to my guests, 